tonight we appreciate your sacrifice we appreciate Lord that you didn't give up on us that you've not yet give up on us we don't believe you will Lord we appreciate that you're so good and so thorough at your job Lord and anything that you begin you're faithful to finish how much we love you for your goodness and your mercy to your people Lord I pray tonight as your word comes forth that Lord once again we'd get a real good picture of who you are and what we are to you, Lord, and what you think of us and of the price you paid. We adore you tonight, Lord. Bless our brothers and sisters. I pray that you might encourage them, Lord. If there's any sitting here tonight in pain, I pray that you, the great balm of Gilead, Lord, would rub all over them, Lord, that you would take your nail-scarred hands, pull them up close to your side, Lord, and whisper in their ear, Lord, that by your stripes we are healed. We accept this promise, Lord. We believe it, and we're learning to trust you, Lord. Not to look at our symptoms, not look at the things around us, Lord, but look at your promise, for you're the only thing that is true. We adore you tonight. We, Lord, will take these next few moments and surrender all that we are to you, Lord. All of our attention, all of our thoughts, all of our ideas, and let us simply sit at your feet, Lord, and learn from you once again. How we adore you, Lord. We love you so very much in your precious and wonderful name. God bless you tonight. <clears throat> God bless you. It's wonderful to see you all out tonight. God bless you. I know the days are getting dark earlier, so it's not always as fun to, to, to get to church at dark and leave it dark, and you miss the summertime when you get to the church in light and leave it light no matter what time you leave. But, but I pray God bless you real richly tonight. I pray that we've come expecting to under, that, that the Lord that is, like I said, that has begun this work in your life, that has begun this, this teaching and training of your walk with him and, and, and learning as you've on this road home, that, that he'd have something for you tonight that would give you a little more strength for the journey, a little bit more courage. It's easy to get scared in this fight we're in because it's not just as if there's you know a, a few million soldiers out there ready to take your life. In the natural sense, there are hundreds of millions of demons that want to take your life. So it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to get scared. But fear not. He said, I am with thee. He said, I am with thee. While you're standing, if you'll take your Bible and turn to Numbers chapter 2. I pray God will take his word and encourage you tonight. Numbers chapter 2, verse 1. We want to read just a, a few verses right here. We're going to start building something as we walk through this. And I love that, that, that the last song of our worship service was the old rugged cross. To many it would seem foolishness. To those that are perishing it would seem foolishness. It would seem 
uh, unnecessary. It seemed a waste that a man would give his life at such an early stage of his life to where even back then a man could live way longer than just 33. Even amongst all the things that were out there of leprosy and all that as far as a statistical probability, he could have easily lived to 60, 70 years old. For so someone to take in the prime of their life, to lay it down for someone else, the most harmless way, the most harmless way, we, we shared a picture to the WhatsApp group here a while back that was a medical study of what he, what he probably would have looked like and, and, and just an idea. And that, that's not pretty. Ain't nothing pretty about it. There's nothing beauty about it. The Bible said there's no beauty that you were desiring, that you would esteem and stricken and smitten among men. And that was all for you. Now let me read to you as we walk through this book of his love story for you. Let me start right here in the chapter 2 of Numbers. And I'll start explaining of how much he loves you. The Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, you understand, he spoke to Moses and unto Aaron. He had told Moses, he said, I'm going to make you a God and Aaron will be your prophet. So the words that come out of his mouth are life, that are creative. He said, I spake to Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Every man of the children of Israel shall pitch by his own standard, shall pitch by his own standard and with the ensign of their father's house, far off, about the tabernacle of the congregation, shall they pitch. And on the east side, toward the rising of the sun, toward the rising of the sun, shall they of the standard of the camp of Judah pitch throughout their armies. And Nashon, the son of Aminadab, shall be, and that's italicized, shall be captain of the children of Judah. You may be seated tonight. Tonight will be part six of who is God, what is God, where is God. Now, if we were to, um, you, they, they have a saying, which I've never been an IRS agent, but they have a saying amongst the IRS agents that say, you are what you receipt. They say you are what you receipt. So if you had a forensic accountant, they'd be able to go back through all your receipts and, and they could be able to tell you. And the prophet would say it like this, let me, let me see what you read. Let me see what kind of music you listen to. Let me see what kind of shows you watch, who you hang out, and I can tell you what kind of a man you are. You understand that's a natural type. An accountant would say, I can take your receipts and where you spend your money. Where do you spend this money? Why did you spend this money? Why you would spend a certain amount for this and, and not very much for this. And, and maybe you, know, you get into a standard of what you feel is worth something. You understand that standard? And you're the one that sets that standard in your life on things you like and things you want. And maybe you can even go so far as to say it's things you love. You would deem perhaps, uh, you just take something as simple as coffee. Uh, some people are very happy with just a dollar cup of coffee from McDonald's. And they don't care that it's most of the time bad. They, they just, they're happy with that. Other folks, they'll go way to the extreme, and it doesn't matter what the cup of ca uh, cappuccino or espresso, you know, $10, $15, it doesn't matter to them. A couple times a day, and, and you take something that one person would deem so little or so cheap, and, you know, for years it was 50 cents. It was maybe even go back to a dime, depending on how old you are. Might, you might have been redeemed, remember, back that far. But now today they, they made something of just of something that you would intake in and you would drink it and you're going to you expel it within a few hours or a day whatever it is and you'll you'll equate such a value to it and you're the one that says whether it's worth it or not no one's putting a gun to your head every time you pull up to the coffee shop and say you must get that the most expensive thing or we'll pull, pull the trigger no one's that it's your will it's your want it's your desire remember setting a standard according to every man 
Now this man, the Christ Jesus, the Lord Jesus, the, the one that we we're, that we're, we're, would like to take just uh, in just a few different parts of the scripture and talk about how he inserted or dovetailed himself into the human race. Now, if you know much about Nashon or Aminadab, Aminadab uh, was uh, obviously the father of Nashon. And Nashon, if I'm correct, was, um, uh, was, was, uh, was Aminadab is the father of Aaron's wife, if I'm correct. Those who remember, I'm pretty sure Aminadab, Na Aaron basically was Nashon's brother-in-law, if I'm correct. You can go back right through the, tribula to, the, uh, to the genealogies. So that was actually his brother-in-law. But you would understand that Moses and Aaron would have been the tribe of, Le of Levi. They would have been the priests and the tribe of Judah. Now you're talking about at the exact same time all this is going on uh, of the sons of Judah, of the sons of Israel. You know, as it all walks down, that, that you, have, you have Moses and Aaron here. And at the same time in the Levitical priesthood who God speaks to, at the same time you have the priestly, the, the kingly reign of Aminadab or Nashon. And you understand how that they're told, and you, you see how it's even worded to where it would be italicized in such a manner that it said that Aminadab shall be captain of the children. Nashon of Aminadab shall be the captain. That it's instituting a standard or a, or a, or a way to follow. If you were to take this one, am I really loud? It seems really loud to me. Um, if you were to take um, and be able to track through, you know, it's getting pretty popular nowadays, the, uh, the genealogy, the, uh, your, um, your, your whatever, all the names that's out there now. A lot of folks are doing that and getting to see where you come from, who your dad, your great-granddad, all those people where they come to. And you can go back and you can see a pattern who someone might would be from where they maybe come from. And if you track that down through, and it's so amazing that something written so far apart, the, you know, all the, what, 40 different men, 66 different books, so many thousands of years apart as it stretched out through there, that you'd be able to actually track something as a gene genealogy where you're constantly on the move. You, you gotta, you, for 40 years, just that part alone, walk around the desert and walk around the wilderness for 40 years, somebody's packing around the, what's that big move? That's just genealogy alone. Is that everybody? No, that's just the one tribe. I gotta pack just the one tribe, and that guy's got. You understand the the what? It, just even to get that through, what a miracle and a paradox that had to have been to be able to preserve such a thing. And it, you would think, why would you almost waste time on a genealogy when you should be maybe keeping all the other words of the law and all those things? Maybe that would be more valuable. But in even the genealogy, you get to see the king of the tribe of Judah and what he's done, who he is where he come from, and the, the, the exact line that he wanted to be put in. The exact line. You understand? He got to pick. He got to pick which tribe that he would be descendant of. You understand that? You know, we weren't allowed to pick our parents. We weren't allowed to pick any of that. We just, we just showed up. And now you have even today that people are suing their parents for, I never wanted to be born. Who would they think they were? Let me be born. It's just foolishness, just complete insanity, depravity of the mind. I never had a right to be born. <laughs> Ridiculous. We didn't get to pick. He picked. Why would he pick? What would be so important to him? What would, that would make him be interested in fitting in this spot? And it wasn't just that, well, when Nashon would be born, that you would say, that'd be a good man, a very good, solid, very, very fight, you know, just a, a, just a courageous man. Just like Caleb walked out there, no matter the age, Caleb walked out there at 80 years old. 80, we don't have an 80-year-old in the house tonight. An 80-year-old man, look at that mountain of giants, and I'll kill every one of them. Let me at them, I'll kill every one of them. That's my mountain, I'll be right back. Get out of my way. And you have a fierceness in that which is interesting because he himself was a Gentile. 
And this will make more sense as we come along. He was a Gentile. Caleb was a Gentile who converted or whatever it looked like back then to make himself a part of it because he wanted to be accompanied or have a part of that blessing or that portion to be numbered with the tribes of Israel to where then you were considered a dog by all the other races. You were, the, you were just the, the, the riffraff. You were the junk. And you want to be a part of that? You actually were from a good breed or good line, and you want to be a part of them? They're nothing but mud daubers. If Pharaoh said they're mud daubers, they're slaves. We go out there and beat them for fun, and you want to be a part of that? He said, yes, I do. He wanted to be numbered with them. I want to be numbered with them. And, and it's interesting about that is there was only one tribe that would take you. There's one tribe that you could get into, and that was the tribe of Judah. Stay with me. I'll read that to you one more time just so you've got this fresh in your mind. Verse 3. And on the east side, on the east side, toward the rising of the sun, shall they of the standard of the camp of Judah, they of the standard of the camp of Judah, pitch throughout their armies. And Nashon, the son of Amminadab, shall be, shall be captain of the children of Judah. Do you believe that tonight? All right, flip over with me to Ruth chapter 4. <coughs> now, Ruth would be the daughter-in-law of Naomi. Uh, Naomi was married to Ahimelech. I can never remember their son's names. There was a bad drought in the land to where there was no, no harvest, no wheat. So they had to actually leave, and they went in the land of, um, I can't remember where they went to. I just flipped back to the table here. Not important. I was getting sidetracked. They, they went out of the land of promise. That, there's my point right there. They left the land of promise. They left the land of promise. So you understand, they're told not to leave, yet they left. But we're going to die. We're going to, uh, there's no water, there's no food, whatever it might have been. They left, but they were told not to leave. Now, y you'll find about God that God always loves to test his people. Always loves to test his people. You'll also find about God that there's a perfect will and there's a permissive will. The perfect will and a permissive will. The perfect will is the perfect plan of God. The permissive will is going to hurt really, really bad. Really, 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 really bad. The permissive will will always bring about to his perfect will. You understand? Otherwise, God's like, oh, man, if they had, now they're all done. I might as well kill them all now. I done ruined it. They can't go no further. No, he'll take that and he'll work it toward his perfect will. Now, even in that perfect will, you see the intent and the manifestation of a redeemer. Now, if you uh, if you were to jump back far enough uh, in, in the passage of the Bible, it would tell you that there was the children of Israel were coming to Moab. The Moabites would not give them any um, any 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 food and water. I think is what it was. They weren't allowed any food and water. They were just pushed out, not allowed. And because of that one thing of them telling them, now we won't give you aid, they were said that no Moabite will enter into the the, the, the tabernacle, to the temple for is it ten generations or fourteen generations? I get those mixed up. No Moabite will enter in. You understand, this is the word of the Lord. Because they did that, no Moabite will enter into the tabernacle of the Lord. No Moabite. No Moabite. Now, the, 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 the famine comes along the land, and they leave the promised land. Yes, it looks like a desert. Yes, it probably had no water. Yes, there was probably no food. This happened to Israel quite a bit, all because of the hardness of their heart and their stiff neck. You understand that you serve 
that this people that's been called out by his name. You serve the one that created water, that created grass, that created every flower, everything there ever has been, and you don't tell me he can't take the Sahara Desert right now and turn the beautifulest oasis you ever could imagine. Like that. He makes a desert a garden fair. Well, I guess now there's no water, there's no food, we should probably leave. He's like, who do you think you serve? I promised. I promised. But you've got to do this, and you will not do what I said. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. They said no. So it always brings these things upon us. So they leave. Permissive will. They leave. They go there. Uh, after a while, Elimelech dies. And while they're there, the two sons marry. Uh, one marries Ruth. One marries um, Orpha. Is it Orpha? Because I always get those. I get too many. I was reading about Penina, Penina, Penina earlier. So marry the two women. One was a Moabite. One was the other. And in a permissive will, took this to be. And it come to pass that the two sons passed away. And as she decides, she had heard the rumor about, about food coming back to Israel. There's, there's actually wheat there. There's actually a harvest, all these going on. She decides to go back because you obviously it's just to her and her two daughter-in-laws. So she tells them, you go back to your mother's houses. I'll, you know, we'll give you a kiss. You'll go back on. You're released. You're released from your vow. I release you from your vow. You go on back your way, and I'll go back to my way. And Orpha did. Ruth would not. Ruth said, I will not leave you. She said, it's better, how did she say that? She said, I would rather die than leave you. She said, it's better for, if I don't keep my vow, then let me be dead. Let me be separated. Let me just be done. Naomi's like, that's pretty loyal. So they go back. But when they get back, you understand that everyone in Israel knew Naomi had left. They knew Elimelech had left. They knew the two boys had left. Everybody knew that. And you understand what a problem it was to leave. It wasn't just like, oh, we're so happy you're back. No, most people are human. Most of us are human. You left. Now you come back dragging your tail between your legs. Now you're, you're now we're good enough for you. Now you want to come home. Now that everything's falling apart, now you come home. People are people. People are people. So she comes back with nothing, absolutely nothing. They come back, so take about there in chapter 4. Boaz, she's now met Boaz. She's made her request to Boaz. She's asked for mercy, asked that he spread his skirt over her handmaid, over her being the handmaid, about being a dear kid. All this has been worked out to where you're at right now. And this is where I want to, to describe of the, uh, how do I even word that? The, you understand that in, in, in the nostrils of the Lord, sin is the most filthiest thing. It's the most putrid uh, in his nostrils, it's, I, I, can't even, I couldn't even begin to imagine or fathom what it is to him. So it, it's like for us to, each one of you, we all have, again, a differing idea of standard, what you would consider nasty. I don't just mean nasty. I mean nasty. I mean bad. The worst thing, the absolutely worst thing that you would go, I won't do that. And that was what we equate to him. So you understand what it meant, how bad it would be. Imagine there were other gods. Imagine there were other like Elohim. And he told them, I'm going to step down there and I'm going to redeem them. They're like, ooh, what? There was no other. There's no rock like our God. There's no God beside. You understand that, but, but it's bad. Let me paint you a little picture. Then when Boaz up to the gate, 
and set him down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, the, the other man that was closer to Naomi than what Boaz was. The other man of whom Boaz spake came by, and unto him unto whom he said, Ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. He said unto the kinsman, Naomi, that is come again out of the country of Moab, selling a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou will redeem it, if thou will redeem it, redeem it. But if thou will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. Then tell me that I may know. For there is, italicized, there is none to redeem it beside thee. And I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. I'll take Naomi. I'll take her. That's great. We'll take it. We'll, you'll make it understand. You understand what that means. She's a, she's a Hebrew. I, I'll take her. That's, that's fine to do that. Then said Boaz, and here's your but. Oh, by the way. Oh, don't forget, uh, you also must consider uh, heretofore. Then says Boaz, what day thou buyest a field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it, again italicized, it. Thou must buy it. Thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. Now, if you remember our scripture from Sunday morning there in whatever part in Matthew it is, about uh, the, 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 the question they brought to him about this, this woman that had married uh, seven brothers. Remember, we talked about that on Sunday. And what each one of them, they were trying to trick him up and try to get him to say these things. They didn't even believe in a resurrection to begin with. They didn't even believe in a resurrection to begin with. And now they're trying to trip up the tree of life with such a question as this. And he tells them, God's not a God of the dead, he's God of the living. Now, again, keep that kinsman redeemer in mind with this kinsman redeemer. He says, that um, then said Boaz, what day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar, mar or ruin, lest I mar or ruin my own inheritance. Mar or ruin inheritance just by taking her i'm gonna ruin it well you've been given you know uh, a stack of uh, you know pallets and pallets and pallets of hundred dollar bills that's your inheritance that's that's what you get for being the heir of such and such okay now let's pour all the sewage of the world on top of it and wash it away that's ruin i can't do it unless i mar my inheritance is what this man tells him. I can't do it lest I mar my own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. So Boaz is a man, just like this kinsman is a man, this kinsman, and it would be just as much of a mar, just as much of a stink for Boaz to do it as that man. For what it means to take that upon himself. And he wasn't thinking, man, I gotta think this through. I don't know. I mean, he's right. You realize he's right, what this means. But not even he didn't blink. I'll do it. Didn't blink. I'll do it. I'll do it. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, verse 7. <coughs> it's explaining something even in this. <coughs> now this was the manner. And 
it's italicized. What's the matter? This was the matter in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. Redeeming and concerning changing or exchanging. Changing or exchanging, however you want to use that word. For to confirm all things. For to confirm all things. Very natural type of what God did through the redemption. A man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. A man plucked off his shoe and gave it to a neighbor, and this was a testimony in Israel. They have been promised, um, if you were to pick one thing in your mind, that the Israelites had been promised over and over and over and over, what would you perhaps think? Or maybe even to Rebecca, uh, standing before her parents, and they're told that, uh, you know, they're getting ready to leave to go marry Isaac. And what I told you before, I thought it was very odd that they would even have the same uh, testimony. Well, you know, that the, the, the soles of your foot, you'll be able to gain and inherit it and possess every other soles of your foot and be able to possess the gate of your enemies. Possess everywhere the soles of your foot. Possess everywhere the soles of your foot step. Now, in this redemption, this Tizen Redeemer took his shoe off and he gave it. This man took his shoe off and he gave it. I'm going to pause right there. You'll remember the, the, the vision, Brother Branham said, of, um, of him, him trying to lace a, 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 a quarter-inch or half-inch thick shoestring through the eyelid of a baby's shoe. Very, very big shoestring through the eyelid of a baby's shoe. Everybody remember the vision? Okay, you remember the vision? Okay, so think about that. You're holding a baby's shoe. Well, uh, uh, well, I think uh, uh, Sadie's still pretty small. If you had Sadie's shoe, uh, she's only about that long, I think, or so, and that's still a very, very small shoe. Trying to take, I don't even have quarter-inch or half-inch shoestrings on my boots, and I wear a size 13 double E. So I don't even have that big of a shoestring on mine. Can you imagine a half-inch or whatever it is shoestring trying to fit it into, trying to fit it in the shoe? It won't go. Now, what, what two types do you find in there? You have a type of, in, in the baby's shoe, of what they currently are, and in the right hand, you have the shoestring of what they will be. Of what they currently are, calves raised up in the stall, not yet the Ephesians 6 warrior yet, but to be trained, to be child trained, tested, and proven, and then adopted into a very powerful son and daughter of God. It's where your boots change. You're not a baby anymore. You're not taking these little small steps. Now you know everywhere that foot steps down is mine. Again, we shared that with you last week, the right to enforce. The right to enforce. Everywhere the soles of your foot stand, that's mine. I'm going to walk around it. It's mine. It belongs to me. How do I know? He said it. I believe it. He said it. I believe it. This was the manner in the former time in Israel concerning redeeming, concerning redeeming and concerning changing. Redeeming and concerning changing for to confirm all things. A man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor, and this was a testimony in Israel. So when Boaz took his shoe off, everybody knew what it meant. Nobody was going, no, they knew what it meant. They knew what it meant. They're like, oh, my goodness. Therefore, verse 8, the kinsman said unto Boaz, buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. 
And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, Ye are witnesses this day, you're witnesses this day that I fought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilean's and Milan's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Milan, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren, and from the gate of his place ye are witnesses this day. What did Adam lose? What did Adam lose? What belonged to Adam that Adam lost when he disbelieved one word? What did Adam lose when he disbelieved well, his wife, he said to save her, redeem her. She disbelieved one word. Adam was not deceived. The wife was deceived. God, Adam was not, uh, he was not tricked into it. Adam did it to save her. You understand that? It says in a feminist versus uh, a macho thing it is, he did it to save her life. And that was the type of Christ. And you have here another type of Christ in the same thing, but it gives you a little bit better um, uh, uh, an avenue or direction to look at what he's doing right here. Okay, Adam, uh, he knew that if if he just stepped back and said, Lord, do what you got to do, he knew that God would slay Eve and he would make him another one and he would be able to keep living in perfection paradise with Eve. Now, in that, we've talked about so many times, in that perfection, in that perfect world that he didn't really know God. Even though he got an evening consult, an evening appointment, an evening walk, he didn't know God. He didn't really know God. Um, in Mark, that you find that when it's describing how the Lord Jesus took that fish and bread and broke it up and broke it up and fed it to the disciples, he took it and put it into the hands of the disciples, and they took from their hands, they put in the baskets, they walked the baskets to the people, emptied them, went back and got more bread and fish all day long. They touched it with their hands. Later that night, they're in the ship, and it's tossed about to and fro, and they still didn't believe he was God. Still didn't believe he was God. They still, their hearts, the Bible says, were hardened. The disciples, they just saw this that he'd done. Adam saw the creator and all these things, but he didn't know him as a redeemer, as a lifter of his head, as one that brings joy. Now you think about your life, how much Satan tries to bulldoze you with discouragement and distress. And you all the time, Lord, I'm just, I, I know I'm redeemed. I know I've got eternal life. I know I have the Holy Ghost, but I just feel down. Is he not still your God? Is he not still the Lord Jesus? Do you not still know he loves you? He gave his life for you. Do you not still know that? That should turn that to that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 11, and all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman. The Lord, look how it's worded, the Lord make the woman that has come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel and do thou worthily in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem.
Lord make the woman. The Lord make the woman. You understand what redemption does? It wasn't just, oh, now, okay, he's bought her. Now, you know, Boaz owns himself a Moabite. Isn't that great? He owns himself a Moabite. And now every child they have will be half Moabite. That's not what they're saying here. That's not what they're saying. They're saying, Lord, make her like Rachel and Leah. Make her like Rachel and Leah. If you go back to where Jesus talks about trying to take new wine and put it into an old bottle, he said that old bottle, which would have been a uh, some type of animal skin, always dries out and it bursts and the wine spills and wastes everywhere. So you never take new wine and put it in an old bottle. You must put it in a new bottle. The Holy Ghost cannot go into an old bottle. It's got to go into a new bottle. That must be completely burned out and redeemed and restored. And you are not the same person you was. My nature has changed. I'm no longer a hog. I'm not a pig. I'm not a slave to sin. I'm redeemed. I'm restored. Lord, make me. Make me. David would say, create in me, Lord. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. Create in me. And this heart, this cry, this yearning is coming from someone that loves the Lord, that's a seed of God, that is even likened to the love and the life of God through a son of, the, a son of David. But even still had not the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but he's craving, Lord, I want that. I want that right heart. I want that right spirit. I want it in all of me. Make the woman that has come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel, and do thou, and do thou worthily in Ephratah, and be famous in Bethlehem. And let thy house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar, look what they're promising now, whom Tamar bare unto Judah. The prophet was asked a question in, I think it's, I think it's 59 uh, questions and answers are asking about that scarlet thread. The scarlet thread, and it's just a just a blanket statement. What does it mean about the scarlet thread? You can take that in so many different places. He said, why you find it all through the Bible? You find the scarlet thread all through the Bible. And even Brother Doug, you know, preaching on the genealogy, you can trace that, all that bloodline, which is a scarlet thread, all the way down to the king. All the way down to the king, all the way down to the tree of life, now in human flesh, made out of the blood, not of the blood, but out of the, uh, you know, being birthed through a woman, being inserted into the human flesh. And that's where you find that scarlet thread with, with Tamar, just to refresh your memory. If you didn't know, Tamar had been married to one of Judah's children, one of Judah's sons, and that son died without giving seed. So the way that process worked out, and you just understood through even through Ruth that that, that was what uh, that Naomi told Orpha and Ruth that, that I can't have more kids. If I do have more kids, you're going to wait 18 to 20 years so you can marry him and be able to raise up seed to the, the one that had fallen. It, so that's how that worked as far as their tribe. So she had this one husband, he died. The second husband would not do what he's supposed to do. So the Lord took his life and so on and so on. So Judah promised him, my next heir will be yours. And at the time appointed, it did not come about. She's walking around. I've been made a promise. That's how I get redeemed. Go back to what God told Eve through the childbirth, through the bearing of the seed. That's how that she would be redeemed. And it had not yet been done so. And you understand how simple, but yet how profound even that point of redemption is, that Satan has fought every one of your brothers and sisters, sisters all back through the Bible, trying to make them infertile. Sarah, Rebecca, you 
just keep walking around. Hannah, keep going. I, no, no, not sorry. I just said that wrong. Uh, Rachel, Sarah and Rachel, and I think even Rebecca had a struggle. Yeah. Probably understand that. Rebecca, Rebecca's struggling with that too. Regardless, Satan trying to stop the seed. Trying to stop the seed. So even in what he could do with, with uh, Tamar's first husband, second husband, all those things trying to stop that seed. He might have been able to step back and look, wait a minute now. Something's lining up very unnervingly on my side. I don't like what I'm seeing here all the way down. And now it looks like if he keeps connecting the dots, something uh, uh, paradoxical is going to happen. So let's stop in here. Let's take that man's life. Let's take that man's life. And now we stopped it. We absolutely stopped it. So Tamar can't have kids till we're all done. We're all good. Judah's too, Judah's too old. He's already married. All those things. But God kept moving. God kept moving. Even in the midst of that, God kept moving. And you understand the story there, what God did that. So then when the twins were being born, the first child put his arm out of the womb first. And that first twin comes out. They wrapped a scarlet thread around it. And then he pulled his arm back into the womb. And he was not the first body to come out. First appendage, but not first body. Think about there about yourself, Gentiles versus Jew. Not the first body to come out, but first appendage to come out and to have that wrapped around. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So you understand that in that one, through Ferris, is how that kept walking right on down. So they're telling her, and let thy house be like the house of Ferris, whom Tamar bare unto Judah of the seed, which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. amazing right there. The seed just keep walking it right on down. The seed of God, the seed of God, the seed of God. To even get now, fast forward up 4,000 years to your life right now. The prophet would tell you that what God did in your life to get you here to get you to be birthed by your parents and then your parents to your parents, your parents to your parents that it's more of a miracle than even the virgin birth. And then kept you alive. All these years kept you alive and in your right mind. In your right mind. Again, I would love to know a statistic of how many people didn't wake up this morning in their right mind. Who had to be taken to an insane asylum on this planet today that did not come out in their right mind. It's the battleground. It's the battleground. Every day. You think tomorrow you'll get excused? No. Tomorrow you get up, it's again in the battleground. The next day, you get up, it's the battleground. Will you still believe him? Will you still trust him? Will you still accept him today? Because it's an everyday thing. Choose you this day. Choose you this day. Choose you this day whom you will serve. I'll take today off. I'll maybe pick it back up next week. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the woman said unto Naomi, the women, the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. It wasn't just that it looked like she's going to be completely cast away, cast away, maybe, maybe at best be a beggar. At best, come back as a beggar. Maybe you know the, the table scraps of, of, of other tribes of Israel. Maybe they let me live you know, in the sewers somewhere. No, no, no. Not just that you come back. Not just that you'd be restored, but that you'd become famous among his people. Famous. They said that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be, listen to this, he shall be unto thee a restorer 
chapter of thine own age. Does the Bible tell how Naomi was when all this was going on? She could have been 60, 70 years old, 80 years old. There, there's no telling. But they, they, they had a promise that would be a restore. That he'd be a restore. You read the same thing I did. It would be a restorer. He shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life. They're talking to Naomi. And a nourisher of thine old age for thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons. That's an interesting topic right there, too. Better to thee than the seven sons. Better to thee than seven sons hath borne it. Naomi took the child, laid it in her bosom, and came nurse unto her. And the woman, the women, I keep saying woman and singular, but the women, her neighbors, the women, her neighbors, named the child. Gave it a name saying, there's a son born to Naomi. Track this with me. There's a son born to Naomi. They called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, back to Perez. These are the generations of Perez. Perez beget Hezron. Hezron beget Ram. Ram beget Aminadab. Aminadab beget Nashon. Nashon beget Salmon. Salmon beget Boaz. Boaz beget Obed. Obed beget Jesse. Jesse beget David. It's amazing. It's a beautiful scarlet thread. Absolutely beautiful scarlet thread. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Turn me over to Mark chapter 2. Thank you for the particles, man. Love the Lord. Isn't it amazing how His Word can come alive? Isn't it amazing how He can link it from one side to the other, backwards and forwards? It's not like we're reading a book, a really good novel. I've shared with you before that now this is a this little bit bigger Bible than I used to have. Man, fourteen hundred eighty-four. I used to have a Bible. Um, my goodness, twenty something years ago that was about 985 pages. I'm not sure if that was, um, what was the H? It used to be a publisher, some H, some county, H county like that. But love the Bible. And my uncle, which is my pastor, give me a book to read. And it was, um, it was uh, just one author. It was a really, really riveting book. And I read it in today's
away from Harden. Now that's Steve. Steve's that's Steve. He's all set playing. He's all set playing. Hood comes all the way down, and you see the very staunch and intent of Jonas. Every word is definitely Straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. You understand what that means? There was no room to receive them, not even around the door. Sta- I mean, just flesh on top of flesh packed into it. And what did he do? He preached the word unto them. The Lord Jesus, the word, preached the word unto them. They come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. When they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. <clears throat> you understand? They, they saw something going on. It, it's not just, and can you imagine what it took to see it? If, it's, if we were all to stand up and get as tight as we could, if some of us are taller than others, you know, Lily would have a hard time if we're you know, to stand and see over it. So you think of the, the enthusiasm, you think of the fervor, you think of the determination i got to see what's going on. What is driving these people crazy for their love to push themselves through the wall to get to this man? So they saw something going on from a distance. You with me? I just described how big the multitude and the crowd and the press was. There was no walking up to him. There was no walking up to him. They from a distance saw this and they believed. From a distance. What is he doing? I love, I've shared this with you a lot, and if you read back to uh, chapter 1, verse 22, they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority. Every time he began to preach, he taught them as if he knew what he was talking about. Maybe even so along the lines as if he might have been familiar with it. <clears throat> okay, so when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof, back to chapter 2, verse 4. They, they could not come nigh unto him for the press. They uncovered the roof where he was. When they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, what was their faith? I must get to him. At all costs, I must get to him. Why would that matter? He could do that. He could do that. But if you find just in the book of Mark alone, the way it describes this man had been discharged, this man had been discharged, this man had been discharged,
When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. See, we've shared a lot with you about when Elohim stood at the door of the tent and told Sarah what she was thinking behind her. Now, they had a good record of that. They had kept a good record. There was a man that met our father Abraham that was telling them what she was thinking in her heart behind her. You know that got around. You know that got around. You know it did. They were reasoning in their hearts. Why doth this man, can you imagine the disdain, the, the, the way they would let those three letters roll off their tongue with just this man? You see, that's italicized. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? You know they're not going to word it as, oh, you know, he's, he's a good guy. What's this guy doing? What's he doing? No, they're saying he's speaking blasphemies. They would kill you for blasphemy. So they weren't saying this, you know, this, you see this man over here, he's really cool guy. I don't know why he's speaking blasphemy. No, they were with, with the, this, this anger. They were, why do they do this? So immediately in their hearts and everything in them, they got angry. They got angry at what he was doing. He's speaking blasphemies. And they asked this question, who in their hearts, who can forgive sins but God only? And uh, immediately, immediately, when Jesus perceived in his heart that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, right reason ye these things in your hearts, whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sin be forgiven thee, or to say, arise, take up thy bed and walk. But that you may know, but that you may know, this is our title of our sermon, what is God, who is God, what is God, where is God, so that you may know. Now, tonight, you're one of those yous reading. Your eyes are seeing this. So you take yourself, Lord, I'm hearing what you're telling me. I'm going to look at this so that I may know what he can do. You with me? So that I may know what he can do. And we shared that with you, that if we were able to take all the, 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 the false information, the, the junk that gets built up in our psyche and our subconscious and our memory of reasoning what we think God is, that doesn't look like him. And Satan throws all this junk at you, all this junk at you. You must come like this, you must be like this. And it's nothing like him. Nothing like him. But he says this as a denotion so that you would understand that so that you may know it wasn't just for their sakes, but all these years later, you're reading what he will do, what he can do, and what he will do. But that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the silk of the palsy. Now, that exact phrase alone makes them mad. They have a problem. It doesn't make them as, as, as big a problem to say son of God because they were all claimed to be sons of God. But when he starts declaring himself as the son of man, kind of made them mad. They have a problem with that. Do you have a problem with that dispensation of the son of man? Do you look back and see someone like him? They can raise the dead. They can heal the sick. They can do anything to the point where even the winds and the waves obey him. And your heart's fallen in love with him. And you understand what it means to jump back to Daniel 7 and Daniel 11 to see what the Son of Man is and who that is. And even find him again in Revelations 1, Revelations 10. And just understand those facets and, and, and attributes of his character. This isn't just a God. This isn't just a creator. This is your husband. This is your husband. 
but that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Someone that he trusted told him about Jesus. He trusted Jesus. Don't know yet, but I trust you. I believe you. I believe you can do what you just said. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, went forth before them all, made a point to walk by each aisle. I mean, I, mean, I could have cut out the back, but let me walk through each aisle and show you what I'm doing. Y'all have a good day. See what he just did? He could have snuck out the back. He could have jumped out a window. No, instead he went through them all. He went forth before them all. Insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, Here's what I'm after. We never saw it on this fashion. We never saw it on this fashion or anything like this. We've never seen anything like this. Now we're after that attribute. We're after that, 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 now I don't want to say, it's not a different personality. It's a part of his personality. It's a part of his character. And that's what we're trying to find in this study. They, they never saw before on this fashion that he would step up in human flesh and look at someone that's sick and say, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, we just read to you out of Ruth 4. If you were to jump back to Ruth 3, you see the request from Ruth. I need to be redeemed. Naomi needs to be redeemed. I need you to take your skirt, your, your cloak, and I need you to lay it across me. I need you, Lord, maybe maybe take your blood and saturate me with it and redeem me with such. And he's standing here in flesh, in flesh, that was born from a woman, that ate from the ground, that spent 30-plus years consuming food, standing in front of the same sun he created, have the same wind blow across his face and his hair, maybe getting sunburned, all this, maybe getting sand, you'll just have to irritate your skin, all those things to be able to stand there with all of his tests and troubles and trials and say, I forgive you. And it actually happened. It actually happened. And their testimony was, after they were all amazed and glorified God, they said, we never saw it on this fashion. We never saw it on this fashion. We never saw it come like this. We never saw it come to this point. Uh, if you were to jump over, um, that, I think it's Mark 5, Mark 6, where Jesus comes up to the tomb, the, the, where we find Legion. He finds a maniac, Gadarus. Those demons rush toward him, and immediately they're worshiping him. Immediately, they're worshiping him. Begging him. There, it says besought. You can interchange the word besought to beg. Please, please, please don't, don't destroy us. Don't destroy us right now. Please, I'm begging. Twice within a few verses. And finally they ask, will you at least let us, at least let us go off in the pigs? Please. Thousands begging this same man. They recognize him. Stands there, they said, That is him. But when the demon
demons come around, they worship him. And immediately got scared. This fashion, never saw it on this fashion. Turn over with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 14. I'm going to read just one line from there. And this is Mark's account of the sower of the good seed. And, and, and coming through and, and laying those out in the earth. And he's putting that seed into the earth. And it's one verse right there that he that, that Mark records it. And we read to you here a while back how Matthew recorded it. But to the the, the, the definition to uh, of this exact one sentence to be uh, understood or unpacked or or to even to be to made made known something as simple as as putting into five words the sower the sower soweth the word the sower soweth the word very simple right very very simple the sower soweth the word you read it too very simple very very simple now I, i'll take this minute and tell you what communion sunday night meant to me powerful sunday night i appreciate that so much i don't know if i told you that or not really enjoyed that that was that part that was a part of the ministry and, and that's i no doubt laid the foundation but i believe that 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 the, the presence the anointing the sweetness that was in this building is is i've never felt that all my life in church that was just as sweet as any other service in this building. It was wonderful. And even back to Woodmark and just the presence of the Lord standing there and, and meeting with one of the brothers, it was, I don't really have words for it. But we, we talked about where you would put the kingdom of God, where you would put the Son of Man, where you would put the bread of life, where you could, it's the tree of life. The tree of life being the person. The tree of life being also the word. God one teaches us what the word is. That where he was, when he was, and how he came, and what he would do. And what that light would do to darkness. That that darkness comes anywhere near that word or that light that it don't know what to do with it. Matter of fact, it starts backing up and running away from that word. Now, in this, it's talking about the Lord Jesus himself is telling you that the sower soweth the word. Now, we understand, and each one of us understand, that's the Lord Jesus. That's the Creator. That's the Elohim. That's the one that said, let there be. We've all established Godhead. We know who He is. I don't say was. He's the same one tonight. We know who He is. This same one that when He stood back there and He planted the seed of Adam in the earth, and He planted all those other seeds in the earth, then Satan come behind right there with Adam and Eve, and you understand how He put His seed, the evil seed, into the, the genealogy of the human race and what it did. But God, the sower, sowed the word. Now we talked about how there in Matthew, I think it's 24, how he talks about, oh, I'm sorry, forgive me, forgive me, that, that you could take that, that kingdom of God, you can take that light, that light, that kingdom of God, he said it's kind of like you can take it and put it in a pile of wheat. And what it would do was it would maybe if you, he said, liken it unto leaven, that, that light, that word, that kingdom of God, that life or Zoe uh, part of God put it in here, that what it would do, that one small grain of sand, one place he described it as a mustard seed. He described it as that, something so small to take it and put it in something so much bigger, and it'll turn that so much bigger into whatever you put in. Now, the sower soweth the word. The sower soweth the word. In our life, in our type, we have that of the scripture where it says that you speak life. You speak life, you don't speak death. You speak life. Now, again, most of us here tonight are humans. Most of us are humans. 
So most of us get irritated, we get frustrated, we have things we struggle with, we have, we're all fighting the same battle, the differing, differing uh, war battlefronts. Satan's coming at you, Satan's coming at me. So when we give opinions today, it's easy to be discouraged, irritated, frustrated, mad, all those different things. And you can take that and you can sow death.
in that, uh, I'll take that, you know, the prophet was talking about the Nazarene faith. He's talking about as far as the do's and the don'ts. He said if you were, and this would have been 50 years ago, I don't know what they are now, but, you know, that it was saying that the Nazarene faith in those back then, he said they would have, you know, as far as when a man was dressed, when a woman was dressed, when they would live the do's and don'ts, he said more perfect than you could ever could. More perfect of a life than you ever could in your own self. He even made that statement that the Pharisees lived a better life than the Lord Jesus did. Someone stood up and spoke in tongues, get out. Did the Lord move and did this? Get out. No, we don't have that here. We have all of this, but we don't have that. We don't have those parts of the Spirit. Now, before I get to where I'm at, jump over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Was trying to get here Sunday, never did make it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. something that you love them and want them to have. Would you agree? Would you agree? Okay. You agree. I'll hold you to that. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. What does ignorant mean? You don't know. Well, nobody ever told me. Nobody ever explained to me. I don't understand. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant if you don't really understand. You know that you were Gentiles. Those are the just ones. Those are the good ones. Those are those Jews are sufficiently impressed. 
I made some of you sufficiently impressed. We had a testimony of Brother Hector was it last Wednesday night. He called me the Sunday before that, about 9.30 or so. Brother, he said, my wife turned the light on, our temporary blind man. Hey, my wife turned the light on, and I saw it come on. Saw it come on.
will take a man who can't even, you know, what's that, seventh grade education and preach things that scribes, scholars, seminary theologians have no clue or understand. That I had a man with a seventh grade education telling you things that, that Einstein couldn't link together. Einstein.
he had them carted out of the courtroom because he let their their out of their mind. They're insane. And Paul tells you that if if a man, if only these people show up and prophesied, and a man who doesn't understand that it's a spirit of worship that is speaking, uh, that, it's that spirit that's uttering groanings that can't be uttered, which the scripture says there are they're speaking in tongues through worship, they're speaking in tongues through prophecy. And under, you understand the tongues interpretation. You understand the balance. The scripture says it's a balance. So if they're standing there and someone walks in and we're in here worshiping and one of us starts speaking in tongues, the prophet spoke in tongues. He said so. I, I spoke in tongues. It wasn't to be interpreted, but it was a form of worship. He said it was a form of worship. It was getting that out. He said so if so if someone was to walk in and only see that and no one was to interpret and say what was being said, he would think you're all mad, you're all crazy, you're all this. But if one was to stand up and testify, you that just walked in, your name is Matthew Webster, you're from this place, you're from this place, you're from this place. He says, I know they don't know me. God must be in the house. God must be in the house. He said, so you have these Pentecostals, they're in this courtroom, and they get to test, uh, speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues, yes, be cast, you know, carried out of the room. He said, if they would have had their life surrendered to God, he said, what God would have done, he would have stepped in and told that judge, that night you were out running with this other woman, you did this, and you were cheating on your wife, you was in this car, and this car, and now you have no right to judge anyone. Now the case is closed. That judge would have said, I must recuse myself. What he said was true. But instead, they got so carried away with it, and it wasn't in order. And most of the times, with them, it's not decent. It's not decent. Me and Bethany, we was at the youth camp this past year, and they had to move inside to the the, the uh, fellowship hall because the rain had flooded the tent. And as we were setting those chairs up, if you know those, you know Brother William Smith, main deacon there. He would sit down. He'd say that um, you know we have we like we like space here. Our, our, as we lay these out, we try to give everybody some space. So what he would do, he'd sit down in the chair, he would slide that chair in front of it and let it butt your knees. He said, that's how much room they need. That chair in front of it, butting your knees as you're sitting down. That's all the room they need. So when you stand up, you're almost bent back over um, you know, over the chair behind you. So it's not comfortable. Even at their, at their church, they, they try to tighten them up back at the Labor Day meeting. That one of the times I was standing in the pews, I was thinking, because we were in folding chairs, I'm like, I'd like to get in the pews. And then we got in the pews, and it was so tight, and I was laying there like this, oh, God, I want to go back to the chair. But in that youth camp with those folding chairs being that close, we watched a sister dancing in her seat, in her spot where there's no room to dance. She wasn't kicking chairs over nothing. She was dancing right there in that tight of a spot, decently in an order. We watched it, decently in order. There ain't room to dance there. There's not even room to stand there. Decently in an order. The body is one. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, one body, the body of Christ, who is God. By one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bonds or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. What's that sound like to you? Taking the Holy Ghost and putting him inside. It's the oil. The Holy Ghost is the oil. Now, the, 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 the parable of the, two, the ten virgins, he had five wise, five foolish. When the Lord Jesus, when the bridegroom came, there were five that were lacking oil. There were five that had oil. There were five that had the Holy Ghost with evidence following, with, with fruit following, with all those things. There were five that did not have the Holy Ghost. 
Brother Adam said that the mark of the beast, is to take the mark of the beast is to refuse the Holy Ghost. To refuse it. So there are those that have the mark of the beast now. They refuse the Holy Ghost. They will always refuse the Holy Ghost. No different than Judas. Now, it would be so much easier to be able to maybe keep all these things straight in your mind if you were to think, for example, a lot of folks think, well, maybe Cain was, uh, you know, just, you know, lived in a cave somewhere. Let's, you know, Neolithic thing, uh, just cave, you know, Cro-Magnon man, and, and, but, but he was religious. Judas was religious. The spirit of Judas is the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Judas. In the church age book, the Rambler called him Judasarians. Judasarians. The spirit of Judas is the spirit of Antichrist. It's not that Judas was the one, hey, I'm going to do this. and he. No, it was on him. The spirit of Antichrist was on Judas. Now, Judas was, uh, and this is very interesting. This, you know, <laughs> I don't have much time to say all this. Jesus says in Revelation 22 that whomever takes anything out of this book, their name is taken out of the Lamb's book of life, out of the book of life. Whoever adds to anything this book says, all the plagues in this book are added unto you. Now, Luke 10, 17, 16, 17, and 18, they come back to Jesus. He had given them power. They were out casting out demons. They come back and tell him, even the demons are subject unto us through thy name. And Jesus said, don't rejoice for that. Rejoice because your name is written in heaven, in the Lamb's book of life. name was removed. Removed. See, it's easy to think, well, yeah, name's being added, name's being added, but you don't like to ever come on the part of name being removed. Judas was that person. Judas was very religious. Judas was, if anyone to ever look at him or know him, they would think he would obviously be more, be more religious, more holy, more godly than Jesus.
Who is he that saith, and it cometh to pass when the Lord commandeth it not? Paragraph 56, there it is. If it isn't in the word, you can't have it. If it ain't in the word, you can't have it. So we, we can't ask unless it's in the word, and we can't petition or ask unless it is in his name. He said, there it is again. Jesus, the name, is the word, which is the will. You cannot separate God and the word, for they are one. They are one. The brother Ram will tell you, and I think it's Christ the mystery of God revealed, that Christ is the principal theme of the entire Bible, the principal theme. And it's so easy, and I try to say it a lot, even as we're in the Old Testament, Lamentations, Numbers, Ezekiel, and you keep that thought that this is his principal theme. Even in something like Hosea, even in something like the book of Ruth, even in something seemingly so inconsistent, but you still see the principal theme. Now then, this word that he's left behind on the printed page, right here, is a part of him when you accept it by faith into a spirit-filled life. Now you see a qualification. You see something he requires. You can't just say, oh, I accept it by faith and I won't receive the Holy Ghost. No, you don't accept it. You don't actually accept it. But when you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, now you can accept it. Not only accept it, but believe every word. And your life can line up to every word. Um,
sitting there, whatever mountain's in your way, and you're in the mountains, you're like, please don't take me, please, let me stay. No, that's not what this is. It's deity speaking. Deity speaking. Every mountain has to go, and I particularly like this next line. Satan cannot stand. Satan cannot stand before that man. He's got his boots on. Every time God did, that creed, that dogma will all 
grace leads you from God. They try to mix it with the word. Listen to this. This mongrelizing, mongrelizing brings forth a hybrid product. You know what a hybrid product it is? It can't reproduce itself. Hybrid product cannot reproduce itself. That seems simple, but it's true. It can't. So if God planted God's seed and you are God's seed and you grow up, you become son, Adam, was the spoken seed word of God. He was given a bride to reproduce himself. That is why the bride was given to him to reproduce himself. To produce another son of God, but she fell. She fell by hybridization and she caused him to die. She hybridized. She mongrelized. Here's what happens if you love him. They will have his potential. 
they'll have his protection. For he's their head, and all power belongs to him. They're subject to him as the members of our body are subject to our heads.
Respect. 